0: 1986 I was a newly engaged young man Amen. working for a corporate organization in Bombay. I don't know if you know Bombay is a city of twenty one million people. And my would-be father-in-law called me and said, Hey, I have some friends coming from North Carolina. Could you meet them? I said, Why not? And I go to the airport not knowing who I'm meeting. And I meet with three people. Pastor David Honor, who's a pastor of Providence Baptist Church, was the pastor of Providence Baptist Church. Then I meet Randy and Debbie Wolf, And Randy had so much of camera equipment with him that in those days, Indian government has not seen so much equipment. And they did not let him take it outside the airport. So we have a 30-year association, and I showed them Bombay. And they mentioned a name to me, J.L. Williams. I have no idea who this J.L. Williams is, but you know, they said, you should meet J.L., I said, yeah, sure, we'll be meet And meeting JL changed my life completely. So Randy, 30 years association. This year is 30 years, 1986. Before I start sharing a few thoughts from the scriptures and share you all that, all that has happened in the last 30 years, let me share an anecdote with you. You know, um, when you communicate from one culture to the other, there are so many challenges. You know, people misunderstand what they say from one culture. Even when you see things from one television television channel to the other te- television channel, they are so different. You wonder who's right, who's wrong sometimes. Because communicating between cultures has its own challenges. You know, India, uh, in, with com- in comparison with the U.S., has four times more people right. in one-fourth the size of your country. So that is, we are looking at 1.25 billion people in one-fourth the size of your country. Just imagine the number of people that are there in this country. You know, land is a very precious commodity. It's a very important thing in India. So there was a church group that was fighting on a pe- over or a portion of prime land. Both were not able to resolve the problem. They went to the courts, they went to tribunal, they went to everything. They were not able to solve it. One was the Anglican group. I don't know if you know what an Anglicans are. The other was the Pentecostal group. Both of them had this problem. Finally the Anglicans said, let's, let's have debate. You know, you know debate. There's a lot of debate going on in your country. So they said, let's have a debate. Whoever wins the debate will ultimately get the property. The Pentecostals, when they heard that, you know, this debate, they had a kind of a shiver in their liver kind of situation. You know, They were afraid. Debate? They're not used to this debate finally one of the farmers from the community gets up and says i will go on behalf of you guys pastors very happy that they have somebody to represent them and the anglicans community chose their archbishop brilliant went to oxford knew all the nuances of debating he was a champion debating so they met at this property where this prime property they both these groups met and it was built as the mother of all debates Lots of people from all over the community came there to witness this debate. Debate, you know, was very impressive. Archbishop looked impressive. He had all his paraphernalia, the best outfits, all the colorful gown and you all that they wear in the Anglican community. The Pentecostal guy had a simple overall. It was a very simple farmer and they began to... The, the bishop began by saying, doing like this. The Pentecostal man Said this. The bishop did like this. The Pentecostal did. You know, the bishop was beginning to sweat. It was hot, humid. You know, when you begin to lose your bearing in a debate, you begin to sweat a little bit, kind of thing. He was making all kinds of noises. Suddenly he had a communion tray. He lifts up the communion tray up to the sky. The Pentecostal farmer takes an apple from his pocket, begins to eat the apple. There was pin drop silence there. And the bishop said, I have lost the debate. You have won the debate. There was utter confusion in the Anglican camp. There was literally, Utter confusion. They caught hold of their bishop. Bishop, what happened? How did you lose it? We thought you went to Oxford University. You knew everything about debating, but what happened? He said, that guy was very smart. I told him, God is everywhere. But he said, God is right here. I told him, God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, yet they are one. I reminded him that Jesus said, as often as we meet, remember him. So I took the communion tea. But he said, it all began with an apple. <laughs> that, you know, there was jubilations in the Pentecostal <laughs> camp. They said, oh, what an impressive. How did you put it off? He said, very simple. The bishop said, go anywhere you want. I said, no, I will stay right here. <laughs> the bishop said, I will give you three days to vacate this property. I said, not a single day. <laughs> he then took his lunch. I took my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the challenge of communicating from one culture to the other. Okay? We have Indian, we have Chinese, we have all kinds of people. So when you communicate from one culture to the other, there are enormous challenges. So this morning, you know, my broad theme you know, it's a very broad theme. I'll try and put fit in everything. <clears throat> what it means to be a global Christian. Okay. What does it mean to be a Christian that is globally connected, that is yet locally involved? I'm not saying that you have a, such a global connection that you don't get involved locally. What does that mean? And my text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, reading verses 19 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, reading from verses 19 to 27. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way so that to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price you know when I look back into my own life I never thought I will be doing what I'm doing today I could have never planned this I could have never engineered it I could have never realized the outcome of meeting Randy 30 years would be this you know 30 years later I'm here you know 30 years ago I had no clue how did I come here how did I travel all this while what happened what changed you know, it's just fascinating. You know, sometimes the one way I can describe God, God is a God of many surprises. He has a tremendous sense of humor. He, he shocks you sometimes. I, when I reflect back, man, how, what am I doing? How did I come here? It's unbelievable as you look at the story. I grew up in a very orthodox Hindu background. Hinduism, okay? Very orthodox family. You know, my father was a strong... Hindu he used to uh, do a lot of uh, you know uh, different kind of worship and things like that he was very committed in his following as such you know we boys we both grew up in the city of Bombay my mother also was okay she was not that she was more a nominal Hindu but just to be with my dad she would do all that he did but we were a very 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 good family both my parents worked my father worked my mother worked you know we were just two brothers life was you know we had no problem in life we were fairly you know, middle class family and everything went off well. Life was very uneventful. You know, daily routine. We like young two brothers. We always fought among ourselves. We were pranksters. We would get into trouble with our neighbors, trouble in school. You know, but nothing major. It was a very normal kind of life as such. You know, so that's the kind of family I grew up in. And, you know, religion something that we were not, I was not interested. I was quite happy with being a Hindu. I don't know how much you know about what Hinduism is. You know, Hindus are very pluralist. They are very, they accept everything. But, you know, still, my father had a lot of practices that he was committed to. My brother was a little bit more hot-blooded than me. Very often, we used to fight among ourselves. And we used to bully each other. We used to fight, argue. You know, we were just two years apart. And we had all these things happening in our life as such. You know, in 1981, one particular day, my brother came back home. He looked very, very different. He didn't have that. He was very calm, very composed, very relaxed. I asked my brother, what happened? You look very strange today. He said, I have follow, started following Jesus Christ. My brother had gone to a small group like this in a house. Over a period of time, he changed completely. Over a period of time, he was convinced by the message of the gospel that was taught there And it took him some time and he became a follower of Christ. You know, when I used to bully my brother, I would tell my brother, iron my trousers, polish my shoes. I was working for a large corporation called BASF. It's a very large, second largest chemical company in the world at that time. In the area of finances, I am trained from Bombay University in the area of finances and a legal uh, background. So that was my background. So, you know, I would tell my brother, iron my trousers, polish my shoes. My brother would throw it back to me and say, you do your own work. But having gone to this particular group, I saw this change in my brother. He looked very, very strange. So when I asked him, he said, yeah, I am committed. I love Jesus. And he was carrying this big book with him. And I was wondering, what is this? Because, you know, we know about Bible. We have never seen somebody had given him a good news Bible. It was a really hard bound, thick one. And he was reading. And he was behaving strange. (laughs) He looked So out of sorts kind of thing. He didn't look like the normal person that I knew him to be. Well, I was going to my office hurriedly next morning. I said, Rajiv is his name. Iron my trousers and polish my shoes. For the first time, he ironed my trousers and polished my shoes. I said, wow, I don't understand who Jesus is. One thing I know, my brother will do all my work now. (laughs) <laughs> that made tremendous sense to me so what I'm saying is that there was a transformation in his life there was change in his life I could see the change was very evident and he looked very strange he was like such a wonderful person I've never seen him like that well his life was so radical change took place in his life my father used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day we used to call him chimney Smoke. I'm in the land of tobacco, but you know, you don't smoke, you make others smoke. So, you know, smoke used to go up a lot. And I say, you know, my father, that's normal in India in those days. My father gave up smoking overnight. Overnight, he stopped smoking. So I asked my dad, what's happened? My dad said, I've started following Jesus Christ. That was shocking to me. How did a guy for 40 years smoke so much? Just gave up smoking overnight. My brother's mm-hmm. life impacted my father. But I rationalized in my mind by saying, maybe my father is getting old. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he was my age, what I am today. But in those days, when you're young, everybody about you looks old, isn't it? And so I rationalized by saying, he's going senile. It's hot and humid in Bombay. Maybe he's losing it. Mm-hmm. Or my brother would have psyched him, kind of thing. But he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Two people in my house completely changed. My house was like radical change with two people. It was so quiet. These guys were all praying and you know doing all kinds of things. I am very proud of my mother. My father passed away in 1999. My mother still lives on. She also is an accountant by profession. See, one thing about accountants are that we are not given to too much emotions. Mm-hmm. We are rational people. Logical. Okay, uh, We go by hard numbers. Mm-hmm. Anecdotes don't Uh, convince us. We want to see the numbers on the paper. Okay. And so we're not given too much emotion. My community is one among the two communities in India that come from a matriarchal family system. I don't know if you understand that. Women are powerful. You'll discover very soon. Women are very powerful. Isn't it? Every community, women are powerful. But in my community, women have license to be powerful. So we take our name after our mother. The women in that household, Inherit more property than the male. And so women has a terrific role in that community. It's not so patriarchal there. It's very matriarchal. So I'm, I'm very proud. You know, She was quite a woman. Uh, she still is quite a woman. But she was quite uh, in those days too. And I knew my mother would never make this mistake. You need to understand that for Hindus. Christianity in India is adopted by poor. Downtrodden. Marginalized. Low caste people. That is largely Christianity is embraced by that group of people. We are from an upper caste. Menans are a different community altogether. I said, Wow, why is my father and my brother following Jesus Christ? That is for poor people, not for our kind of community. So I knew my mother would never make a mistake. Every Hindu woman wears a spot. Mm-hmm. It's called Tika. Means that you are married, your husband is alive, and has certain religious connotations. But nowadays, people also wear it for fashion. If you have a blue blouse or a yellow blouse, you wear a yellow tikka. So it's also fashion. But it has certain religious connotation. If you are a married woman, Hindu woman would wear it. One evening when I came back home, my mother did not have the spot. So I asked my mom, what happened? How come? She said, I have become a follower of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Shocking. I felt... Like she betrayed my culture. I felt she was the last ray of hope I had in life. That also is gone. I felt miserable. Anyway, the ratio in my house was 3 is to 1. 3 for, one against. My house became a madhouse. A lot of Christians would come to my house. There should be Bible study, prayer meetings, that meeting because that was one of the first Hindu home where three members of the home came to Be followers of Jesus Christ. Lots of people came into my house. For everybody that came into my house, I became their primary target. (laughs) You know how Christians are, isn't it? You know how they are are like, they're more stronger than network marketing people. They want to sell you this product. And they were saying, Jesus died for you. I said, so what? They would say, Jesus is the answer. I said, I did not raise any questions. Why do you say Jesus is the answer? So you know, usual Christian cliches that they will throw at you and I would try and you know uh, uh, avoid <coughs> them, evade them and finally I got so tired of them every time they came in, I went out. I got tired of these Christians. But deep down in my heart I knew there was something true because I thought, saw three lives radically transformed. I would try and come as late as possible to my house. But when I came to my house, my brother was so smart, he would plan his family devotion with my father and mother when I am at home. and I am sitting in the other room, my brother would read the scriptures very loudly. Some of these verses would fly out of that Good News Bible and hit me right here. But I would close my ears. I didn't want to listen. You know, sometimes he read certain verses It was speaking directly to me. And I would close my ears of oh, God is so powerful. I would close my ears because I did not want to hear it. I did not want to hear it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to accept this truth. You know, deep down in my heart, I want to accept. But I could not, I could not, you know, I didn't, I didn't accept. My pride became a big hindrance for accepting the truth. I was resisting the truth. In my resistance, I was running in the opposite direction. I could not resist it. I went on messing up my life cut the story short, I became a slave to many habits, one day out of sheer desperation I went to my brother and said, brother do you think I'm in some problems in my life you think your Christ can help me with some of my problems that I'm going through my brother said, why not I, I can't, pray for you he was not alarmed by what I shared, he was very casual he said I will pray for you, he laid hands on me and prayed for me and that particular night, something happened so deep in my heart that I can explain now but at that time it was like a fuzzy feeling inside yeah, I, you know, I did not know what was happening but now I know it was a strong conviction of sin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that night I knelt and gave my life to Christ 1981 35 years ago my life changed completely mm-hmm. there was a total transformation simply because three lives three lives radically transformed. Our transformed lives speak far more powerfully than anything else in this world. My life changed. I always thought to be successful in the corporate world, climb up the corporate ladder, become very successful. And you know, again, God has a tremendous sense of humor. I thought my brother is the kind of guy who will go to Christian ministry because he had a more like a Holy Joe kind of look. You know, the kind, Some people look like, they look like ministry oriented. You know. I was not. I'm a business guy. And you know, this is not what I want to do. Again, you know. Well, uh, 1986, God brought a wonderful woman in my life named Usha, who's my wife. We just completed 30 years of married life. And both of us got married, came back to... Uh, Bombay started working. I was very active in my church. I would go every week for, you know, take a bunch of people to evangelize different parts of Bombay City. Mm -hmm. We used to call this project Operation 10 Million. There were 10 million people in 1984 in Bombay. And I would take a lot of people from the church. We had just 80 to 100 people in our church in those days. But we would go door to door evangelism all across the city of Bombay. And I continued doing that along with my work. And I felt such a strong call to ministry. My wife comes from a missionary home. My father is a minister, and you know was great help in understanding what ministry entails. Because I grew up in a kind of a you know church that is more a little bit loosey goosey, we say, you know, a little bit more Pentecostal kind of thing. And I would hear my pastor telling stories like how God provides. You know, for an accountant, God provides does not help. He doesn't understand. God provides. I used to wonder, they would say stories like God brought food outside our door. I would not understand these things. Slowly I began to understand, you know, there are some human agent involved in this whole process That's as such. Well. And so both Usha and I left our jobs. We had a daughter, six months old Natasha. She lives in Cary, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you know, we went to seminary and we went, was involved in theological theology, studied theology for three years and was involved in work at that time onwards. You know, I would have never thought something like this could happen. Never. But as I look back to my life, God is a God of surprises. So now coming to our subject, you know, what it means to be a global Christian. You know, globalization is taking a lot of it these days. In political arena, Brexit is a good case in point. Where we don't want anything to do with globalization. It's all about localization. That's the kind of tension. But let me tell you. The original globalizers were Christians. Mm. Because one of our biggest mandate is go. Into the whole world. Globalization is a Christian idea. It's always existed. And Christians are preachers and evangelists. Have always globalized as such. So what does it mean to be a global Christian? You know there are two big challenges as I see in the world. I travel many, many parts of the world, Asia, a lot in Asia, Europe, a lot in Europe and in the U.S. and also in Africa sometimes. But as I look, there are two big challenges today. We live at a cusp of history literally in the world today. I can see the trends as I look, global trends in our world. It's almost, we seem to be somewhere in 1910, 1920, in that period, where there is lots of churning that's happening in Europe. There's lots of problems. Asia, a lot of tension, my country and Pakistan is very close to a war, you know there's a lot of tension, all across the world, political turmoil in your own country with a lot of challenges, so so what, what are two big challenges, to me two big challenges both politically, theologically, missionally is one is fundamentalism, it's a big issue, fundamentalism is basically belief that I am the only person right, okay I'm giving you a very crass definition, Okay, where I think my blood is pure. My land is pure. <coughs> my ethnicity is pure. My culture is pure. Everybody is corrupted. I am the only pure person. And so, I don't want anybody to invade my life as such. That understanding is dominant. India is strongly fundamental. And when you are fundamental, you don't give freedom to anybody. You believe you are right. It is your world. Everything that is right, blood is pure, land is pure, language is pure. Your holy people, that understanding is so dominant all across the world. It is not limited to one religion, sadly. there is that in Christianity, it says in Judaism, in Hinduism, even in Buddhism, which technically should not have it, it has it. All across the world I see fundamentalism is growing. And in its political form, it is becoming a very, very serious challenge. To us who want to be global Christians, so what do they do? They curtail freedom. That is one extreme case. Is fundamental. The other is pluralism. Everything is okay. Every religion. All road leads to Rome. It is a wide road where freedom means autonomy. Okay, freedom is misunderstood. It? Some people, for them, freedom means this. To others, it is this. In India, if you ask our older political leaders, they say freedom is to be free from British colonialism because Brit- India was a British colony. And so freedom is all about being free from British. If you ask an economist, they would say freedom is about free market enterprise. You ask little kids in school, they say, we don't need no education. We don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Hey, teacher, leave the kids alone. Freedom is understood in that way. So freedom is a misunderstood term in itself. And for pluralists, it means autonomy. And the result of an autonomous understanding is freedom is apathy. I don't care. Opposite of love is not hate anymore. Opposite of love, I don't care. That's the kind of world in which we live. So do you have two extremes. Fundamentalism on one side, pluralism on on the other side. And it in such an extreme, how do we apply what Paul had to tell to people in Corinthians? Firstly, Paul is saying, blend and not bend. Blending without bending would be a very critical thing. We are committed to our beliefs in faith, the fundamentals of faith we believe in. We don't bend that. There is only one way. We believe in an exclusive theology, exclusive way to the gospel, to Jesus Christ is the exclusive way, we believe in that we engage ourselves exclusively there is no compromise in that area as such, but sometimes people who believe in the exclusivity of faith become also exclusive in their understanding of sociology let me uh, unpack that, we sometimes think, somehow we think if I am exclusive in my theology, then I should not touch anybody else. I should not be involved. My theology my sociology then becomes I, my family and my same color neighborhood as such. That is exclusive. But this is very interesting. You know, our two commandments love God and love your neighbour. You cannot say I love God and sit there and say I love God. But if it is not seen in your love for your neighbor, then there is seriously wrong with what you're saying about loving God. Loving God, if it's not translated in loving your neighbor, I don't think so, that's Christian faith. We have to be inclusive in our sociology. That's why blending becomes very important. You know, blending with culture. You know, culture is a very central place. You know, there is no perfect culture. Nobody can say American culture is the greatest culture or Indian culture is the greatest culture. All cultures have strength and weaknesses. It's very important that whichever culture God calls us to, we need to assimilate into that culture. Assimilation is critical. Sometimes we don't assimilate. We think because we have exclusive theology, our culture also is exclusive. That's a problem. And many times when you do evangelism, when you do church planting, which I am involved in, People, we have to train people. If you are going to a certain group of people, you need to be inclusive in embracing them. Yeah. Delightfully, I am a pluralist when it comes to food. Okay? You can eat any kind of food as such. Uh, And inclusive when it comes to our sociology and embracing people. You know, human beings all are same everywhere. Some are sophisticated in the way they do things. Some are crude. That is the only difference. And you will see that very soon. Okay? All of us have these struggles. Apathy is very common. You know, I don't care. As long as it's my people who's affected, then I will... So that understanding needs to go. We need to blend culturally with people. We may not like it. Because certain prejudices and bias and filters are so strong. So strong within us. India is the most racist country in the world. Racism in India is institutionalized. If you look at a map of racism, India and Jordan is the most racist country in the world. And India, it's institutionalized. Caste system is the most racist idea ever invented. It's part of our religious systems as such. So we are very exclusive in our sociology. Blood is pure. I don't want the shadow of a lower caste person touching me because I'll become impure. That's the understanding, and when we do evangelism in our country, we have to always train our people to assimilate. You know, if you go to any culture, if you don't assimilate with that culture, identify with those people, you'll make no impact on that group of people. Wherever you go in the world, in your neighborhood, you don't have to go anywhere today in the US, in Raleigh itself, you'll have all kinds of groups of people. Assimilation, because it's it is difficult, let me tell you, for an Indian, for a Chinese, and for a Japanese to assimilate in any other any culture. We, have, we ghettoize all cultures. Because culturally, three of the strongest cultures in the world, when you study culture, is Japanese, Chinese, and Indian. They are civilizational culture. They are not tribal culture. Most of the, most of the others are tribal cultures. In civilizational culture, we have strong cultures. In terms of our language, in terms of our dressing, in terms of our food. McDonald's is in India for many years, but it's not successful because there is strong curry culture in India, strong Indian food culture as such. You know, you take a person from India and put them in the U.S. for 30 years, still want curry because they have such a strong aspect of culture. So assimilating into culture becomes very, very important. That is where blending becomes very important. We don't compromise in our beliefs, but culture is not gospel. Rather, Christ transforms all culture. Christ is not against culture. He is not, you know. So when I go to another country, like when I come to the US, I identify with the culture. Last Sunday, I watched Packers play cowboys at Lambeau Field Stadium. <laughs> That's ultimate carnival that you see there. And you assimilate in the culture. You see, you understand what all these things mean because I come from a cricketing country, which is cricket is a religion in my country, not football, you know, you call it football. Okay, not American football. But, you know, you begin to understand, assimilate, be part of that culture. So blending becomes very central. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission, which today is called Overseas Mission Fellowship. You know, when Hudson Taylor went to China, he braided his hair, grew long hair, dressed like the Chinese. All the other missionaries who were with him said, Hudson, what are you doing? You're trying to be like a Chinese. They wore their suit tie. He wore Chinese outfit. He was, he was mocked by many of his fellow missionaries. But Hudson Taylor made tremendous impact on Chinese people. Even today, a lot of people in Ch- China are turning to Christ because of the labor and assimilating into culture by Hudson Taylor. Many other mission mission agencies have closed down. But China Inland Mission, which is Overseas Mission Fellowship, still continues on because Hudson Taylor blended into that culture. That's very central to be a global Christian. second important point to to become a global Christian is to sacrifice without sensationalizing. You know, sensationalization is one of the biggest things that we see in our world today. Your news is completely sensationalized. Our news, the news world over is no longer news. It is sensation. Every, everything is a breaking news. I wonder why it is a breaking I wait in the past. If it's a breaking news, somebody has died or some major. It's a very simple thing. Somebody has moved from this place to that place. Also it's <laughs> a breaking news. Sensational thinking becomes very simple today. Everywhere it is. Sensational. And missionaries are ooh, They are very good in sensationalized thing. You know, sacrificing. When you look at Paul's life, his life was punctuated with suffering, hardship, beaten, riot would break out wherever he went, people tried to kill him, Do all these things. But he says, my light and momentary trouble will bear much more. Light and momentary trouble. That is so not sensationalizing his suffering as such. Be sensationalized. You know, one of the ministries that I am uh, involved, which my wife is primarily involved, is working with children. You know, children are the most powerless, marginalized, downtrodden group of people. I never want to be involved in it. I am interested in theology, I'm interested in evangelism, Uh, we train people in theology, we train church planters, but my wife in 2002 said, I want to be involved in Working with kids, especially rescuing baby girls. You know, in some part of India, there are girls who are killed. Okay. Feticide, they do sex determination tests, and if they realize the fetus is a girl, they just abort the child. But there are certain poorer groups where they don't have money to uh, go through an ultrasound. So they have the, if the girl child is born, in the first week, they snuff out of the snuff out the life of this girl. It is not all across India; some parts of India, they either induce pneumonia or, you know, diarrhea. Collect the medicine, but do not administer the medicine, and over a period of time, the child dies. My wife said, "I want to be involved in it." I said, "Why that?" Why should you be involved something like that? I'm an accountant by profession. I look things through budgetary uh, things. I said, mm-hmm. you can close all ministry, but if you take a child, it's our child, we will be involved throughout life. She said, Yeah, that's what I want to do. I said, I don't see myself getting involved in something like that. She said, I will do a I'll leave a gideon priest. If God brings the child next week outside my door, I'll be involved. What do you think? I said, Well, I'm agreeing to that. That is not gonna happen. I said she said that and you know, you won't believe a week later, one of our ministries in, in particular area where we plant church, the pastor called up and said, Hey, we have a child. Abandoned child. The mother wants to kill it. Said, If you want to take it, you take it. My wife tells me that's happened. I've nowhere to turn, nowhere to look. We got involved. That is in two thousand and two. We got involved in rescuing the first child. Life changed in the next 4-5 years, 22 girls we rescued. They're like our girls. Some of them about to be killed. Grave. One girl, grave was dug and they were going to put her into grave. Our evangelists went there in time and rescued the girl. Today she's a 13-year-old fasting, strong, spunky little girl. And from that time onwards we got involved with these girls. Each of them have stories, unbelievable stories. They love it when I'm not at home because all stay in my house. We, so they all, so we, all the 22, we are their parents. From that time onwards, we rescued 500 children. Female infanticide, beggary, child labor, temple prostitution, poor, slums, all across India, we've been involved in lives. We are captive to 500. I said, I don't think so. We want to go more than that. But it's challenging. And today, when I look at those girls, they are most of the time in my house. When I see the wonder in their eyes, it just turns to me. I said, Wow, Usha, what perfect. I did not see this. Mm-hmm. But today, when I see their lives and see what it means to be involved in children, it just revolutionized my life completely. You know, but she has sacrificed a lot. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to travel, speak to people, raise funds and do things like that. But she's involved day to day. She's PhD in social work and done a master's in theology. She could teach anywhere in the world, but she chooses to stay home. She travels some with me, but most of the time she takes because all of them are Teenagers. Just imagine 22 teenage mm-hmm. girls. That's <laughs> scary. That is, terrifying. that is terrifying. Each one of them has a story. But Usha is involved with her. Yesterday, when I FaceTimed, they were so excited. They're practicing Christmas songs to do Christmas and skits and things like that. But you know what I'm saying? It's her sacrifice. She doesn't tell anybody. <clears throat> that is what Paul was. When I look at Paul's life, he sacrificed enormously. Shipwright. he doesn't say he says you know, don't focus on seen things, seen things are temporary, unseen things are permanent that's the kind of understanding that he's got that is the kind of person that we need global Christians are somebody who are not disturbed by one elections you know God is the Lord of history he's still president of all presidents and all presidents are just a drop in the bucket the no one I'd like to drop in the bucket. <laughs> and so he is in control. He's sovereign. In his sovereignty, so many things happen. I never thought meeting 30 years, Randy today I would be 30 years later standing here speaking to a people, group of people who have never met before. We don't know what the outcomes of life is because God is in control. He's sovereign. And he's always there. He's certain. He doesn't move out of that situation. And so that is what I see as global Christianity. We are ready to sacrifice whatever situation God places us. Not just faithfully serving Him. Whatever situation He's put us, Just putting heart, soul and everything working in it. And the outcome should be left to Him. I've seen for 35 years. I've never heard of David and Goliath till I was 21. I would hear stories from Bhagavad Gita, from Ramayana, from Mahabharata which is Hindu texts. My dad would tell me a story every night. But you know, when Christ does some work in your life, he changes your life completely. Changes your life completely. I'm involved in evangelism and church planting and training people. We, We have planted nearly 60 churches all across India today. All first generation Christians, many, most of our churches have people who are from Hindu background. They're coming to faith they're baptized, they're active. So we train our students who stay with us for three years and we train them up. One of the most important training that we do is character development. Character are shaped by habits. Habits are shaped by choices. And two is to get along with people. Sometimes social skills are so important to get along with people from all different cultures and backgrounds. We need to celebrate diversity. We should never try and say, you know heaven is a place that will be where every nation, every kindred, every tribe will be there. hey, that's the good news. If you don't know to get along with them here, the good news is they will be there also. So that's what we train our students because that is India is the most diverse country in the world. It is Yugoslavia, former Soviet Russia. All of these things put together. A country with 18 recognized language and 1,600 dialects. Every region is very different. We need to celebrate diversity. We need to celebrate diversity. That is so brilliant. Lastly, and more importantly, as Paul would say, winning without whining. It's all about, you know, when we are on the side of Christ, we know what the result is. He says, I don't meander aimlessly. I am focused to the goal. You know, we lose our focus sometimes. When we lose focus, you lose a sense of direction. When we lose a sense of direction, we are like groping in darkness. That's what happens. As followers of Christ... Whatever challenges, whether it's fundamentalism, whether it's pluralism, whether it's postmodernism, whatever challenges that are around, we don't lose focus because we know what is the future. We know who holds our future. We know, you know, in an uncertain world, the only thing that is certain that is God. So we don't meander aimlessly. We are going towards that history that will come for us. We serve a God who's beyond time. Space and mortality. Our understanding is limited by time, space, and mortality as such. We only know what is going to happen tomorrow, what has happened yesterday, and we deduce this is what is going to happen a week later. God has a lot of history, as I said. And so we keep ourselves focused in what we are doing. I'm 56. I have nine more good years to serve the Lord. After that, I'll continue (laughs) to preach and teach and things like that, not run an institution. And I have certain goals that I'm working towards and this is what I want to do later on in my life. And you know, serve him as long as we live. We have so many challenges in our country. But thank God, God who's sovereign, he is the one who sustains us. You know, that is the story of our life. God continues to sustain us, no matter whatever challenges we have. So as I look back, thirty-five years of journey, it's been exciting. There's never been a dull moment. There have been difficult moments, but not dull. Mm -hmm. Every twist and turn is fascinating. Because it's all about being a global Christian. Being a Christian who's a citizen of the world. Looks at a global perspective with a local initiative. That's what Christians are always. We are all globally minded. We are not limited to a local region as such. Though we are locally involved, but we look at the whole world. And it is not about success. It's about being faithful. You know, fidelity is sometimes not given much importance in our communities as such. We don't think, uh, you know, faithfulness. We think God is only faithful. But, you know, we need to be faithful wherever he's called us. I am dazzled by God's fidelity. As I look back all through life, God is so faithful. Whatever be the situation, you know, so hanging in there, especially tough situation, Conservative Christians are going through some tough situation. You know, nobody likes to watch television these days. You know, everybody switches off television. So that's good because you know, overdose of television is dangerous, also, isn't it? So you know, but remember, God is faithful. He's still in His holy temple. Let earth be silent before Him. Habakkuk says that, and He continues to sustain us. Victory may not blossom. There may not be olive. There will be no wine. There may not be oil. There will be nothing. There is no bread. There is no hamburger. There is no french fries. You know None of these things. But God is in control. So we are always on the winning side. Winning is not reduced to in material terms. You know sometimes we reduce everything to material terms. But for us these are temporal. What is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal. That has been the focus of my life. And, uh, you know, that is the focus that we inculcate in our children and all the children that we have to realize that, you know, the God whom we serve is far greater than anything else. And our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers and powers. So blend. Don't bend. Okay? Sacrifice whatever is called because Paul never stood for his rights. Have a a sociology that is very inclusive. Paul says, you know, there is no Jew nor Gentile, there is no male nor female, no master or slave, no ethnic differences, no gender differences, he says. No class differences. He destroys the whole concept of class, creed, color, everything. We are all one in Christ. That inclusive concept, I think so Christianity would be a unbelievable religious belief if we if we inculcate an inclusive sociology. And finally, we are always on the winning side. So let's not cry. Let's not <laughs> cry babies. We are always on the winning side because he's with us. God bless you, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Randy, thank you. God bless thank you. Thank you. have uh, some of my newsletters you can take, and you know, we send a new, uh, periodical newsletter if you want to be on my mailing list. please. Careful. Yeah. Okay.